John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, and of course, I forgot to put the key verse. <laughs> uh, it should be right underneath your title, 1 John 5.13. Uh, you know, last week we talked about evidences. The Bible talks in a practical way about evidences that you can just check, make a little checklist in your your own heart, uh, not to so doubt or anything, but, you know, as I said in Corinthians, examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. And there are some evidences that you belong to the Lord. We went through them last week. And now we're going to just talk about true assurance here for a while. First John 5, 13. This was shared with me the night I asked Christ to come into my heart and life, be my Lord and Savior and forgive my sin. And uh, because after I asked him, uh, confessed I was a sinner and asked him to be my Savior, I was done with that stumbling through that prayer. And, you know, we stumble. It doesn't matter. I mean, God knows our heart, but... Uh, the pastor said, now, if you were to hit a moose, and we lived in the moose capital of the, he lived in the moose capital of the world in Karlstad, Minnesota. He said, and if you hit a moose tonight on the way home and die, what would happen to you? I said, well, I don't know. I, I hope I go to heaven. He said, let me share a verse with you. And it never left me. This verse never left me. First John 5, 13. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may K-N-O-W know that you have eternal life. Not guess, maybe, or maybe so, or we'll see how it works out in the end, no, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So true assurance is, I think, really necessary uh, for, if for no other reason, for stability in the Christian life. That's why it's important. So here's three reasons why, and I've been in ministry many, many years, as you could probably tell by looking at me, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you, Doc, for not saying amen on that one. Uh, and, and from time to time, um, I've, I've dealt with people who struggle with this issue. It's not uncommon. Uh, and I think there's three reasons why uh, sometimes believers uh, just lack the real assurance that brings stability in your Christian life. Number one, I think because he may be looking toward his feelings. He may be looking toward his feelings. Now, this next statement's very important. Assurance rests on what God says about salvation. That's what assurance rests. It rests on what God says about salvation, not on what we feel about salvation. So that was a lot of writing on there. I got a couple more writing things for you, but I found that it's important to write, write down. Because he may be looking forward uh, toward, he may be looking inward to his feelings. Assurance rests on what God says about salvation, not on what we feel about salvation. Or 
and you don't you don't have room for this but or what others or what we see in others lives i've i've uh, wrestled with this a little bit through the years too how sometimes our eyes get off what the scripture says and on what others may be living like or what we feel like or whatever so it's it's what god says that counts and so that's why the scripture says, these things have I written. That's why we have the word. That's why Bible teaching is essential. In every church that recognizes Christ as Lord and King and Savior uh, should be a Bible teaching church. Of course, we know they're not. not in fact, you, you, they're getting scarcer. But the dearth of Bible teaching and Bible preaching brings a lot of problems. True assurance comes not by what we feel, but what God says. Here is a poem. I did not write it. Um. Someone asked Martin Luther, do you feel that you have been forgiven? He answered, no, but I'm as sure as there's a God in heaven. Quote, for feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Back when I had a voice <clears throat> and a youthful body, I was involved in Bible camps almost every summer. And uh, spoke in many, many camps. A board member on one I remember for a few years. And... and uh, different ages, but uh, invariably at a camp, there would always be some that would come and talk to the speaker, to the Bible teacher, the one that's in charge of that, which was me usually at a, at a camp, and confess that they struggle with assurance. And uh, I would always carry a, either one of the, from the camp or a, just a little Nerf football, you know, little things about like that. Put a Bible down. And then I would put, then I would put my faith down. Then I put the football on top. And my feel, and that represents feelings. So the football that represents feelings will have to rest on my faith that rests on what? Bible. Now the problem with a lot of people, you know what they have on the bottom? The football. And then they try to put this stuff on top and you know what happens, don't you? And it would seem to help, help the young people, but it's little illustration that you know our feelings you know there are times when we don't feel very saved 
And, uh, you know, uh, you ever get mad? No? You got the wrong pastor here. And, uh, you know, sometimes there there's a righteous anger and then there's the other and it's it just you struggle with it. And you don't feel like you've been very, very much saved and sanctified and on the way to heaven. No, you don't feel that way, but it doesn't change the truth. So number two, here's another reason why some, because of confusion over life after he is saved. Because of confusion over life after he is, he is saved. Now let's finish it. Christians do sin. We do. But this should lead us to learn how to deal with sin. Not to doubt our salvation. I'll read it again. Because of confusion over life after he's saved, Christians do sin, but this should lead us to learn how to deal with sin, not to doubt our salvation. I met a guy one time who told me he was he hadn't sinned for 30 days. And I thought to myself, you just sinned right now. The sin of pride and and uh and actually my naughty uh mind sometimes works and I, I thought. You're either in a you're either dead or in a coma. Or you just don't know what sin is. Because every thought that is not pure, every thought that is that is uh, uh, not God centered, that in this sin sin sick world we live in, I mean even the even the people who try to be recluses that went out to monasteries and all that, they, I mean, they sin. Uh, I know that we sin less. We have, we have victory over sin, and God has provided that and all of that. But if we say we don't sin, listen to the Bible. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We constantly need the cleansing power of the blood of Christ and his forgiveness and grace to go on and walk with him. And uh, so we do sin, and uh, hopefully and prayerfully it's not habitual sin and uh, all of that, but if we say we have not sinned. So some people get confused and believe that because we sin, then we lose everything. That gets back to then a salvation by works, doesn't it? And you have to be careful there. So uh, there's confusion over life after he's saved. Christians do sin. This should lead us to learn how to deal with sin. And God is clear on his word how to do that. Not to doubt our salvation. Third reason. The third reason why believers sometimes lack assurance is because of misunderstood passages. 
and they usually have to do with three, these three areas, okay, that are in your notes. Number one, rewards are confused with salvation. Rewards are confused with salvation. I've seen that in 1 Corinthians 3 and other places. Uh, then there's the confusion of discipline is confused with damnation. Whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chasteneth. There are times you and I need spiritual discipline in our life. I mean, that's not a, I mean, he's our father. And he gives the illustration. He says, what earthly father is going to let his kid just do anything he wants and, and turn out to be a monster? No, he needs the correction. And uh, so uh, the discipline or correction is confused with eternal damnation. And, and you get, you've got to understand Scripture, not misunderstand the passages. And then there's the physical salvation is confused with spiritual salvation. A lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, the word saved means delivered. And, uh, you know, David used it a lot that he was saved in certain situations. He was delivered. And we get we get confused sometimes, or we could. And that's This is why Bible teaching is so important, okay? Misunderstood passages could, could lead to some having a lack of assurance. Now, there's a lot of scripture that, that is clear. So you, when you're, I used to teach hermeneutics. You know what that is? I taught that at Frontier School of the Bible. You know what it is? It's not a disease. It's the science of biblical interpretation. Okay. There are certain principles you go by. And one of them is if you have a doctrine that's as clear as can be in so many passages, and then you have one passage where it seems to contradict that or it's unclear, well, you're not going to take that one passage and build your whole life around it. You're going to try to understand it in this context, and there are other ways you can do that. But you take God at his word and all the other, other places that make it exceedingly clear. Um, here's... How Christians can be assured of salvation. Are you ready? Does that mean yes? <laughs> well, you're still sore at me for that, that quiz. Hey, by the way, tomorrow's May 1st. Did you know that? So you're going to plant your garden? Here's what you should plant. You should plant three rows of turnips. Turn up for church each week, turn, turn up to serve in a ministry, and turn up to help one another. Then you should plant three rows of squash. You plant uh, three rows of squash. Squash gossip, squash grumbling, squash selfishness. And then one other thing you should plant, you should plant four types of lettuce. Let us love one another. Let us be charitable. Let us be faithful. And let us be joyful. 
We have hard things in our life. We know that. Every Christian can face, I mean, we all face difficult times sometimes. Nobody's exempt from that. It shouldn't rob us of the joy that we have in knowing him. So you can be assured of salvation and joy and assurance go together. Number one, because of the nature of salvation. When you bow before his presence and acknowledge your need of forgiveness of sin, and you put your faith in Christ and his shed blood and the empty tomb, uh, the nature of salvation, John 3.36, for example, uh, uses the words everlasting, eternal. Let me read just that one verse. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe his son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How many places like John 3.16 and many other places use the word eternal? So the very nature of salvation is a forever deal. Amen? So, I mean, you grab a hold of that. You can rest in, in, in that. It tells us how long the life that we possess will last. It's a forever deal. We'll see that in John here in a little bit. Number two, we can have assurance, the Christian can have assurance because of what we were when Christ died for us. And for that, we need to see Romans chapter 5, and then verse 8 and 9. You know verse 8, it's very familiar, but God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we're still sinners, he died for us. But I like the next verse, too. Much more than having now been justified or declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What we were, we were still sinners. What we have become is justified by his blood. What we were when Christ died for us, now we're much more than that, according to the scripture. I love that thought. But this is where it's at, number three. Are you ready? Got your pencils ready? You got your pens ready? Because of God's revealed purpose toward us. Now here you got... One, two, three, four, five P's and really six, because the sixth one is a P too. Okay? God's purpose toward you as a believer, as seen in his plan in salvation, as seen in his power in salvation, as seen in his promise in salvation, as seen in his prayer. John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Wow. As seen in his presence, as seen in his wonderful pledge. I had to stick that W in there to make sure you were honest. Let's look at this. What is God's plan in salvation? Well, here it is. I mean, it's it's pretty plain. And I want you to see these things because this is where it's at. Romans 8, 28, you know this. 
Uh, it says this, now we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So we're talking about his purpose there. Now, this is his plan, verse 29, for whom he foreknew. Okay, God knew you were going to be saved long before you ever did. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be uh, conformed to the image of his Son. For all those who are born again, who have accepted Christ our Savior, God has predetermined that you will be more like his Son. That's his plan in salvation. Be conformed to the image of his Son. Let's go on. Oh, and then it says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined them, he also called. And when you heard the gospel message, I heard it in VBS. The first time I heard the gospel clearly was in VBS. Thank you to you VBS teachers. You having VBS this year? Was that affirmative? Oh, okay. Pretty quiet today. Just because there's a little baby around. I mean, you can make a little noise. Moreover, whom he predestined, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. You can see the, the thing here, but this is, this is the one I really like. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glorified? Wait a minute. My complete glorification has not happened yet because I still have this body. But in the eyes of the Lord, it has happened. It's a done deal. So you have his whole master plan right there. That's the master plan. Now, how about the power that's involved in salvation? Okay. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I get tired of people saying, well, what do you mean you believe in the assurance of your salvation? Then you can live any way you want. That is the dumbest statement that anybody could ever say to me. Anybody that knows the Bible knows that that's not true. God wants you to have the assurance of salvation. Look at John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus was speaking, and he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give. Or shall we read, And they earn eternal life? No. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me. So the Father has given the believer to Christ, and Christ has given to the believer eternal life. You can see it here. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That's power. That's power. Then you got the guys and gals that'll come and say, well, that may be true, but it doesn't say you can't slip through God's fingers. Boy, isn't that theological? 
you can slip through his fingers. That tells me that person wanted to doubt what God said in his word. So his plan, purpose, his power, look at his promise in salvation. And these you've, this one you've probably heard in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and then verse uh, 24. Jesus again speaking, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, has, right now, eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed. This is past tense now. For the believer, you passed from death to what? To life. Well, there's... There's a promise. Is that true or not? Okay, let's look at his prayer. Again, this is a scripture. This isn't this isn't me talking through my hat. John 17, the whole chapter is the last prayer that Jesus prayed. Well, it was not the last one. He prayed on the cross too. But John 17 is called the high priestly prayer. And look at verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, Jesus said to his father. But these are in the world, talking about the believers. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Again, it's not up to you to keep saved. Now, we're going to talk about this. Well, then, should we sin that grace may abound? We'll talk about that. Don't go away. And then, of course, his present, John 14. You back up a little bit in verse 16. It says, John 14, 16, get the right page. Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter or helper, and that's the Holy Spirit that he may abide with you until you mess up. You're going to correct me or you're going to let me go on with false doctrine? Okay? That he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, and we need help. We need help. That's the thing. We're not living this Christian life alone. But let's get the foundation of our salvation. Sure! Anyway... Now this wonderful pledge, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In Him, the Bible says, in Christ, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. How often do you hear Bible teaching on the sealing ministry, one of the seven ministries of the Holy Spirit? He seals his believers. That did not happen in the Old Testament. It does here. It does in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit came and went 
on on people in the Old Testament. And uh, that's why when David messed up with Bathsheba so bad, he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me in Psalm 51. Uh, you know, you don't have to pray that today. Uh, listen to that pledge once again. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now listen to this. Who is the guarantee? Down, can I put it? The actual meaning of that is guarantee. It means down payment. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance someday when we are glorified and stand before us until the redemption of the purchased possession. You have been bought with a price. What's the price? The blood of Jesus. When you're bought with a price, the seal of God is the Holy Spirit, the down payment. So now he indwells the believer. He does a lot of things for the believer. And part of that is he seals the believer. Now you can take that and run with it, or you can pick it apart. I'm giving you the plain truth of Scripture, okay? And I believe that one of the most important things you can experience as a Christian is assurance in your heart and life that you belong to him. Now, let's address this for a minute. This common argument, does this give us a license to sin? In your notes, write that down and then turn to Romans chapter 6. Paul addressed that. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He just, he just got done telling you in verse 21 of chapter 5, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Grace, okay? And having laid out the power of grace... In your life, Paul then answers the objection, shall we say then, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I want to read a, a anonymous poem. I don't know, it's not really, it doesn't even rhyme. I don't know who said this, but it's a prayer, and I love it. Listen to this. Oh, Lord, teach me to know grace precedes, accompanies, and follows my salvation. I'm not only saved by grace. It was a grace of God that allowed me to come. It accompanies salvation, and it follows my salvation. It sustains the redeemed soul that not one link of his chain can ever break. And I love this. From Calvary's cross, wave upon wave of grace reaches me. And I stand here before you telling you, boy, I need it. I need the grace that sustains. In fact, he goes on to say this, these waves deals with my sin, washes me clean, renews my heart, draws out my aff affection, kindles a flame in my soul, 
consecrates my every thought, word, and work, and teaches me your immeasurable love. No. God forbid, it does not fit for someone who has been saved, changed, transformed, cleansed, indwelt. It does not fit that we should go out and purposely sin more and more to experience God's grace. That is not biblical, not biblical, not at all. These things are for our benefit. Look at the last statement down there, okay? All this biblical truth is used by the Holy Spirit to give the believer assurance. My favorite verse in Romans and I say this sincerely, after I became a Christian, my favorite verse has become Romans 8, 16. It says this, The Spirit Himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. His Spirit. So the Holy Spirit gives that unction to our own spirit. Hey, I don't have to rest on my feelings. I don't have to put the football down first and the Bible on top of that. No, sir. The Bible goes down first. And true assurance comes with the Word of God. Three things true assurance will give you. Stability, peace, and joy. <laughs>